Acts 9, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God our Father, we are so grateful for your faithfulness, God. We are so grateful that your Holy Spirit lives and moves inside of each one of us, God, and that you have called us, that you have chosen us, that you love us, Heavenly Father. And so we pray now that your Holy Spirit would do only what you can do, that you would transform hearts, that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would um, love, that you would grant grace and peace as only you can do. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. So as you may know, February is Black History Month. And oftentimes people wonder, why do we celebrate Black History Month? Why do we set aside these months to to celebrate certain ethnic groups? And what's the purpose? So I want to give you a little bit of background on it. Um, So Black History Month began in 1926 as Black History Week. It was started by Carter G. Woodson. He was a a black historian, and he said that if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated. So he developed Black History Week initially so that the public schools would start talking about black history within their curriculum. Around 1970, it became a month. Still, um, still talking about this idea that we are still haven't figured out how to integrate other cultures and other voices into our history, into the narrative of our culture. And so here we are in 2019, and we're still celebrating Black History Month and some of these other months because too often history is told in a one-sided manner. And not just the neglect of African-Americans, it's Asian-Americans, it's Native Americans, it's Latinos, it's women. And if we're not careful, we miss learning and growing as a society and even as disciples of Jesus Christ if we fail to consider the voices and the experiences of all people. Amen? Amen. We can get used to only hearing certain voices, but we need both. We need all voices. Well, this morning, I invite you to listen to a new voice that we often don't pay attention to when we read the book of Acts. Alongside of people like Paul and Peter, there are others who can teach us about discipleship. We're going to be talking about discipleship and the role of the Holy Spirit this morning, but I want us to not just look at the familiar people. I want to see what we can learn if we add some more voices to the conversation. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Book of Acts, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 43. Acts, chapter 9, verses 31 through 43. You can find it behind me or or on your phones or your Bibles, whatever you have available. And the word of God reads as follows. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. 
All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, all the widows, excuse me, stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Amen. Now, if we go back and we look at Acts chapter 8, the followers of Christ are scattered due to persecution. Stephen had just been stoned, and so the area of Jerusalem wasn't safe for them anymore. And so now it's a time of peace, and Peter is making his way around the area of Judea visiting churches. Now, we know Peter. Right? He was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he learned directly from Jesus. He's a leader in the early church. He, he preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved on the spot. And here he goes to visit followers of Jesus in Lydda, and he finds a man named Aeneas. Now, we don't know if Aeneas was a Christian or not. All we know about Aeneas is that he had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. Peter goes to him and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat, and walk. Amen. Immediately, Aeneas gets up. The people in Lydda and Sharon and the surrounding regions, they see Aeneas and what has been done, and they come to believe in God. About 10 miles away in Joppa, there is a disciple named Tabitha. She was known for the good that she did. She helped the widows, she helped the poor, and around this time she becomes sick and she dies. And the people in her community do something unusual. They wash her body and they put her in an upstairs room. Now this is unusual because during that time you would usually be buried on the same day. But the people hold back. Instead, they know that Peter is not too far away in Lydda, so they send two men to go get him and bring him back. They washed Tabitha's body. They put her in an upper room to wait for Peter's arrival. Now, the text doesn't say why they send for Peter. But all the signs seem to point to some sense that some sort of miracle would take place here. There was no need for them to place her body in the upper room. They should have fully prepared her body for the burial. There was no reason for them to call Peter. But perhaps, and this is just my personal belief, something in their collective spirits told them to do this. That the Holy Spirit was leading them to do this, even if they were not sure of the exact outcome. Because if you look back at verse 31, it says that the Holy Spirit is operating to encourage believers at this point. So they send Peter while Tabitha's body is waiting upstairs. 
Peter comes, they take him to the room where the widows are and the widows are standing there crying. They're showing off all the clothing that Tabitha had made for them and Peter sends them out of the room. He gets down on his knees and he prays. Now we don't know the the contents of that prayer, but what we do know is that Peter says, Tabitha, get up. And Tabitha opens her eyes and she sits up and Peter takes her by the hand and he takes her into another room and he shows her to all of these people. And I imagine at this point that there is astonishment and celebration. They are praising God. Their their tears of mourning have been replaced with tears of joy. Their beloved friend has come back to life. And this story, Tabitha's resurrection, also becomes known in the region, and even more people come to believe in the Lord. So we see Peter do this miraculous work, this healing Aeneas and raising Tabitha, and he demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Peter is an apostle. He had been with Jesus for three years, and he had been given the task of building the church. He was one of the the three men, a part of Jesus's sort of inner circle. And now after Jesus's ascension, we see him leading the church. He's teaching and he's preaching. He's already been jailed for his convictions. Even if his shadow casts upon someone who is sick, they are healed. Many have come to believe in the Lord because of the Holy Spirit at work in him. He is a great example of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a disciple. But I also, alongside of Peter, I want us to also look at Tabitha. We don't often pay attention to Tabitha because she's the recipient of the healing. But I think Tabitha is actually an excellent model for discipleship as well. Did you know that in the entire New Testament, in the entire Bible, Tabitha is the only woman given the designation of female disciple. The exact Greek term is matatria. Now, of course, there were many women who followed Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary and Martha, and later we'll, we'll see Lydia and Phoebe and Priscilla and all these other women. But this is the only time that a woman is given the designation of a woman disciple. I think that's pretty extraordinary, don't you? And yet we don't pay attention to her. But she must have something to teach us because you don't just get named a disciple for no reason, right? So I want us this morning to look at both Peter and Tabitha together. So the question this morning is, what can Peter and Tabitha teach us about discipleship? We see the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in both of their lives. So how can we know if the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ? The first indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives is that we rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit. You're not operating in your own power. You're not guide, you are guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 32 through 34. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. 
immediately Aeneas got up. Now there is no indication that Aeneas ever asked to be healed, but Peter knows that God has gifted him and has used him in the past to heal people. Peter heals Aeneas, but the healing is accomplished by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter is clear that the healing comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from Peter. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. Later, we see Peter get down on his knees and pray before speaking to Tabitha. Look at verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Now, we don't know the details of the prayer, but it is safe to assume that he was, conform, he was confirming God's will in this moment. Peter couldn't just have willed Tabitha to be uh, resurrected on his own. Even all the people who loved her and loved God could not have willed her restoration. It had to be within the will of God and Peter was assured of that in his prayer. He relies on the Holy Spirit to guide him and it is the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of him that brings Tabitha's restoration. You see, miracles are not about working our faith. They're about sealing the word and the will of God in this world. It's about confirming the power of God that produces faith. In fact, I had a professor in seminary, Dr. William Turner, who said we shouldn't even call it miracles because miracles are about what we think we can do or can't do. But what we really see happening is God being God. God using his omnipotent power in the way that he wants to. And he invites us to participate in that. So we see Peter working within the Holy Spirit because he's been, he's been invited to by God. But we also see Peter mimicking the work of Jesus Christ. Peter heals Aeneas without Aeneas even asking him. And that's what we see Jesus do too. In Luke 7, for example, he sees a widow whose son has just died, the widow in name, and he heals her son. He resurrects her son. Peter is part of that, that, that threesome that watches uh, Jesus bring Jairus' daughter back to life. Peter is doing what he saw Jesus do. If you look in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus had been telling his disciples that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, and he tells them that the work he is doing is evidence of that. And he assures them that they will have this same power working inside of them. It's the power of God. He's already empowered them to, to preach and to teach and to heal. And now, now that Jesus has resurrected and ascended, they have Jesus's resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead was alive and at work and inside of them. 
When Peter healed Aeneas, when he restored Tabitha, he wasn't working within his own power. He was working within the power of the Holy Spirit. He was doing what he saw Jesus do. We have to ask ourselves, how much of what we do is within our own power? How often do you pray and ask God for his power to work through you? One of the things that, and, it, and it's me too, so I'm not just throwing this out on you, but sometimes I think the problem of education and good training and, and, and success, as we might call it, is that it leads us to believe that we are capable on our own. It leads to hubris and a false sense of self-sufficiency. You, you know how it goes. You, you, you pray to God for the job. God, please give me this job. And then once you get it, you never speak to God again. Unless it's bonus time, or raise time, or promotion time. You think, God, I've got this already. Or you never talk to God about your personal finances, how you spend your money. You, you figure you have what you need, so you don't need God anymore. Maybe you've, you've read a few books, listened to a few podcasts, spoken to some friends, and you think, I don't need God to tell me how to raise my children or how to keep my marriage together. But we're not self-sufficient. We're not capable on our own. Everything we do, every move we make is an extension of God's grace and power at work inside of us. I have to remind myself all the time that I am alive this morning because God said so. I was able to drive here and walk through the door because God's grace allowed it. And anything we do is empowered by his spirit. Do you ask for guidance and wisdom at your job? Do you, do you pray for discernment and how to raise your children? Do you pray that God will protect you when you travel throughout the day? Even as pastors, and we've been given this calling, but this is not our work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you rely on the power of God or do you operate in your own capacity? I still believe that God heals. I still believe that God restores. I've seen it happen here at Metro. I've seen people who were paralyzed walk again. And I've seen people who had been given a cancer diagnosis cured. But that healing we desire and the restoration we need comes by the will of God and by the power of God. And we've got to tap into that power. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to your doctor. Absolutely do that. Maintain your health. Use good common sense. But we have to seek after God's power as well. And the best way to connect to the power of God is through prayer. That's what we see Peter do. Peter prays. We are able to do the work of Christ when we yield to his power at work in our lives through prayer. The first way to be assured that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is that you rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, the second way we see the Holy Spirit work in our lives as disciples is through generosity. You are generous. Look at verses 36 and 39, and this is where Tabitha helps us out a lot. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. 
She was always doing good and helping the poor. And then verse 39, Peter went with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Tabitha helps us understand generosity so well and we'll miss it if we don't pay attention to her. Tabitha was generous. Now the name Tabitha actually means gazelle and it's, it's, it's distinguished, it's, it's this name because um, gazelle is distinguished for its, its, its slender form, it's beautiful, it's graceful mu- movements, it's beautiful eyes, and it's a name that denotes female beauty. But Tabitha isn't known for her beauty. She's known for her generosity. She reminds me of the Proverbs 31 woman. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Tabitha was generous to those most in need in her community. She served the widows. Now we understand the precarious situation of the widows. In this time and culture, women were provided for by the men in their lives. First it was their fathers, and then it was their husbands. And if their husbands died and they had no adult male child to take care of them, they were really at the mercy of the community. They were extremely vulnerable. So much so that throughout the Old Testament, we see God constantly reminding the people of Israel to care for the widows. Even in earlier in the book of Acts, we see the disciples having to make sure that all of the widows are taken cared for equitably. Tabitha steps in to help those most vulnerable in the community, the widow. Tabitha is charitable with what she has. There's no indication that she's wealthy, just that she is industrious and generous with her time and her skills. She is consistent and strategic. She matches her skill set with the need in the community. She sewed. And so she made clothes for the widows. She made use of her time and her talent in the service of others. She demonstrated consideration and and compassion and diligence and self-denial. She was constantly before those in need. Always doing good is what the Bible says. Her generosity was habitual. So I'm gonna say something not to negate anything that Pastor Kevin said earlier, because I think donating money is wonderful. As you know, I am also the director of Metro Community Center, so I, I, we benefit a lot from the, generous, the generosity of those of you who contribute to the, the Christmas offering, and I'm so grateful for it, and I thank you all for it. But your experience and what you're able to experience and are able to demonstrate Christ's love best is when your generosity becomes embodied when it becomes incarnate, when it's not just word, but when it takes hold in your flesh, when your body is involved. This is what we see in Jesus Christ. We never see Jesus give money. Now, although we can all recognize that the times are different, but what Jesus offered to those he encountered was his time, his attention, his gifts, his wisdom, and that was worth much more than money. 
That's where you're able to meet Jesus, when you seek to embody his love for others. You meet Christ when you move beyond your own preferences to visit the elderly and get to know their names and their personalities, to to build a pen pal relationship with someone who's incarcerated, to mentor a young person whose life experience is different from your own, to build relationships with those who are experiencing homelessness. And if you're wondering about any of these, I'm mentioning them because that's what we do here at Metro. Jack, which is a ministry that that I oversee, Justice, Advocacy, and Compassion, this is what we do. The type of generosity we see in Tabitha is not a convenient generosity. It's sacrificial. She made clothing for the widows and she helped the poor. That meant that some of her time was spent getting to know the widows, finding out what they needed, and fulfilling that need. She spent time with the poor, finding out their needs. She understood that God's blessings come as a result of our generosity, not before. We have to be generous first if we want to receive from God. Later this evening, the prison ministry will visit East Rahway State Prison, which we visit once a quarter, and I am so proud of the volunteers who consistently participate in that ministry. Now, there are some who haven't been doing as long as others, but there are a few who've been doing it for years. Michael Hong, Jason and Christine Kang, Kathy Choi, Pastor Peter. And it's so wonderful because it's a blessing to see those men's faces light up when we come there because they recognize us and we recognize them. They know our names, we know their names, and there's an older Korean gentleman there who, um, who doesn't speak much English, and it is so wonderful to see him to be able to interact with those who speak his native language. Our brothers at East Jersey depend on us, and they look forward to our visits. And it's not easy. We have to fill out all this paperwork every year, We have to take off an entire afternoon, including Mother's Day. We go through security and we never know how long it's gonna take. But it's worth it to be a part of the work that God is doing in the lives of our brothers. The inconvenience is worth it because when we say God is with us, Emmanuel, we actually show it because we're with them. And when we say God loves them, we can actually show it because we love them and we're there with them. Now, this is not to say that Tabitha's discipleship or our discipleship is based purely on what we do. We know that's not the truth. It's deeply rooted in our faith. Tabitha had deep faith. She couldn't have been considered a disciple if she did not believe in Christ and have an active faith. And the work that she does grows from her faith. She demonstrates what James will say in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with my deeds. Tabitha's generosity was a sign of her faith. And the greatest blessing is that she gets her life back because she gave so much of her life to them. Her life was found in the service to others. Just as Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. She was blessed because she was a blessing. She received life because she gave her life up to others. If we want assurance that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, check your generosity meter. You must be generous. And finally, if you want to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you must bear fruit. So you, you must um, first rely on the Holy Spirit. You must be generous and you must bear fruit. In John chapter 15, Jesus speaks with the disciples about abiding with him, staying close with him and in relationship with him. He compares himself to a vine and he says that we are the branches. And he says in John chapter 14, verses four through five, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But what does this mean to bear fruit? There's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that generosity is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But there are others. Like when Jesus tells us to make disciples of other people, that's a form of bearing fruit. And what we learn from the lives of Tabitha and the other disciples is that another form of bearing fruit is the godly impact we have on other people's lives. The godly impact we have on other people's lives. Last week, Pastor Peter talked about us being witnesses. Bearing fruit stretches us to consider what will other people be a witness to the power of God at work in our lives. If, if we, we brought you into court and we put you on trial for being a Christian, hypothetically speaking, of course, could we find anybody to be a witness for you? Would anybody be able to testify to the God in you? Let me explain this a little bit more. The widows are Tabitha's fruit. The widows are a witness to Tabitha's generosity. Peter walks in the room and the witnesses go up to him and they say, look what Tabitha made for us. Look what she did for us. They're weeping and they're crying. It's as if they know that she didn't have to do this for them. She did it because they loved, she loved God and she loved them. They're weeping and they're weeping for her loss of life, but they're also weeping because they understand what the loss of her life means to the community. 
Now, we don't know if Tabitha herself was a widow, but we know the impact she had on these women, that she cared for them, that she loved them, and they knew it. They have lost a disciple, one whose life made a difference in the world. They were witnesses to Tabitha's faith. She left a mark in the world. There was a a purpose in her life. She impacted people's lives for the better and helped them experience the love of God. Tabitha demonstrated what's written in Revelation. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. What will be the nature of the deeds that follow you? Can we live in such a way that our memory is engraved in the hearts and minds of other people and not just our family and friends, but like some other people in the world who actually need us? How is God using you? How is the love of God being shown to you, to others through you? That's bearing fruit. Not to mention that her deeds, her work, and her memory are etched into our book of faith. The entire church is edified by this woman's example. Self-sacrificial and humble. I, I wonder how many people have been inspired by her witness. God uses us to bear fruit. And interestingly, Tabitha's resurrection wasn't even for her. Her resurrection was to enable her to continue to be a blessing to other people. She was able to continue her service to the other widows in that community. Tabitha's restoration was a demonstration of God's mercy upon the widows. These women who had already endured the sting of death and the humiliation of poverty and God shows up again in their lives and blesses them. But not just Tabitha, Peter too. The miracles of Acts are signs of the power of the Holy Spirit at work, and they serve as the the, the way by which many people come to believe in Jesus Christ. When Peter heals Aeneas and when he restores Tabitha, large groups of people come to believe in the Lord. The work of Peter and Tabitha consistently point people back to Jesus. And that's what we do as disciples. We point people back to Jesus. We know the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives when we, when we bear fruit. So right behind me is James O'Neill. He's coming up on the screen. James O'Neill. He is my former boss. When I think about a modern-day disciple of Jesus Christ, I think about James O'Neill. I call him Mr. O. He is the founder and executive director of Legal Outreach, a college prep program I used to work for in New York City. Now, Mr. O is one of my professional mentors as well as one of my spiritual mentors. He founded Legal Outreach in 1984 after leaving Harvard Law School because he was deeply committed to expanding opportunities for low-income students to go to college and also enter the legal field. And while the organization is not overtly faith-based, it is certainly faith-founded and sustained. One of the reasons I loved working at Legal Outreach is because all of the, the senior staff members were Christian. And it was not uncommon for him 
to ask those of us on staff who are Christian to pray for the students to pray for the direction of the organization, to pray for the funding and the resources that we needed. We would often talk at the end of the day about how God was moving in the lives of our students. We would talk about how each day he prayed for the organization and he, he gave it back to God because he said, God, this organization belongs to you. He trusted God with the organization. And there is no question in my mind that Mr. O's life and this organization are covered in his prayers. But one of the most remarkable things about working with Mr. O is seeing him interact with the students. He doesn't have time to teach them like he used to because there's, there's so many of them. There's like 200, 250 kids being served every year. But he tries his hardest to get to know every name, to get to know every story, to talk with them, to mentor them. And he's often very generous with his own personal money. He, he buys ties for the young men who don't have one. He, he gives them their suit, his suits and his, and his uh, shirts that he no longer wears. He takes phone calls late into the night and early in the morning, and he works tirelessly on their behalf. And the proof is in the kids, because Mr. O doesn't have any biological children but all of those kids consider him a father figure. They call him for graduation. They call him for advice. He's invited to their weddings. Their children are up in his office. And he never fails to remind them to seek after God. Amen. He never fails to remind them that he is praying for them and is available to them. Even me. When I wrestled with my call to ministry, he prayed for me and he counseled me through that process. When I made the decision to leave the organization, he prayed for me. And when I go back and I visit and I tell him about Metro and all that we're doing here, he supports me, he encourages me, he prays for me, he offers advice. He is a disciple committed to living his life empowered by the Holy Spirit, generous with his time and with his wisdom and impacting lives and bearing fruit. Metro, we're one, year in, we're one month into the new year and I hope that it's still time for us to commit as a Metro community to being more Holy Spirit-led to being disciples of Jesus Christ who, are, who, are, who rely on the Holy Spirit, who are generous, and who are looking for ways to bear fruit. We see this in the example of our spiritual fathers and mothers, and hopefully we will be like them. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you live inside of us. God, we are so grateful that you have chosen us. We are so grateful that you have called us. We are so grateful that you desire to work inside of us, that you desire to use us to help build your kingdom. God, we pray that we might rely on you more that we might seek after you more, Heavenly Father. God, we pray that we would be more generous, Lord God. We pray that we might bear fruit for your kingdom, God. 
God, we pray that you would give us the faith and the understanding, the desire to hear from you, and that you would give us the courage and the boldness to do whatever you ask of us. Lord, we give ourselves over to you. As we said earlier this morning, Lord God, we surrender to what you're doing in our life. And we commit ourselves to sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you have your bulletins or your Metro app, I'd invite you to take out the next steps. That's on the bottom of the communication card. I want to walk you through those next steps. If any of these apply to you, you can check them off. If you are new to Metro, um, once you check that off, we invite you to place it in the offering basket when it comes around a little bit later. So the first thing is I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. Number one is I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God has been, uh, the, has been talking to you, maybe stirring on the inside of you. And it's like a one re- relationship right now. Now is the time for you to say yes. And if you believe that's you, and if you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, we ask that you check that box. And right after the service, you can meet us at the next table where someone will talk with you more about it, pray with you, and give you some more information. But if you've never made that commitment, I encourage you to do that today. Number two, I'm going to be more diligent about praying for the Holy Spirit to guide me and empower me. We have to get into the habit of praying that the Holy Spirit would guide us. And so maybe you need to make that commitment today that you're going to be more diligent about that. You might want to check that box off. Number three, I will mentor a Metro Life student. If you're familiar with Metro, Metro Community Center, the nonprofit arm of the church, we have a program called Metro Life. It's a wonderful program where we mentor high school students right here in Inglewood. If you, have, if you believe that God is leading you that way, check that box. It's not a formal commitment yet. It's just a conversation. And we will talk with you about the details. Number four, you might have free time during the day. Maybe you work part-time. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you have a couple of hours in the middle of the day. We'd invite you to, uh, to participate in an opportunity to volunteer with a wonderful food pantry that we work with. They're looking for daytime volunteers. And if you fit into that category, we invite you to check that off. Also on your communication card, you'll see the opportunity to check off a box for Jack, which is Justice, Advocacy, and Compassion. And that is the, 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 the arm of the church that really does a lot of the things that I talked about earlier in the sermon. So if you'd like more information about Jack, I encourage you to check that box off as well. <laughs>